This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Super excited to be back for our fourth week episode that focuses on the RV industry. All the things that are happening at RV, outdoor recreation, all those kinds of places. So we've got a couple of special guests today, as well as our recurring guests here. We're pleased to welcome back Phil from RVDA, Eleanor from RVDA of Canada. Is it like, is it, is it really a Canada on the end of that? Or how do I differentiate that? Like, yeah, RVDA and RVDA of Canada. Okay, cool. All right. So I did get it right. I just read it. Shane Devinish from the Canadian Recreational Vehicle Association and Susan Carpenter from the RV Women's Alliance. Super excited to have all you guys back with us to talk about the RV industry and things that are happening there. And our special guest here, we got Sam Shapiro from Grounded, who's going to discuss his innovative electric camper van that does drive. We figured that out before the show started in case anyone here was curious. And we have Jason and Allison Takox. Is that pronounced that right? Take it to Cox. To Cox. Well, most people butcher it. <laughs> Brian Takis is just fine. Oh, okay. It's just so you don't. It's just fine to call you, but you've got to be authoritative and yell at me because I did it wrong. Takis, Takis is just fine. It's been Americanized. All right, Takis. They are here to share their experience as a family of full-time RVers, and then we're supposed to have somebody else here, Bill Widmer. The founder and CEO of Adventures on the Rock, and he apparently is not here yet. So hopefully he'll be able to join us. If not, we'll see if we can book him on another show. But what's on the uh, what's on the agenda, guys? Before we introduce our special guests here, actually, why don't you briefly introduce yourselves, and then we can circle back to you guys. So Sam or Jason and Allison, which one? Feel free to fight, and whoever wants to go first, go. You guys can go first, Jason and Allison. All right. Brian, actually, we are part-time RVers, something a little bit different on the show. Okay. We have been RVing for about eight years. We moved to Texas about 20 years ago, and we have been RVing for the past eight years. We decided that it was an important step because it was a little bit hot in Texas, and we wanted to RV year-round and share it with our kids. So not in Texas now, are you? Because I heard it's really hot there right now. Oh yeah. We're in Texas. The feels like temperature was 118 degrees the other day. Why are you there? You can come up and see us in Canada. It's my fault. Mine brought him. (laughs) Sorry. We're part-timers and we actually right now are ambassadors to Thor Industries and Jayco. Okay. And we also made a class on campground etiquette. We did that for Road Pass University. And we, in general, we create content for a variety of companies. And we just try to share our experiences and inspire people to RV. Awesome. I'm super excited to dive into that with you and talk a little bit about your story, how you got started, how you ended up in Texas and 118 degree weather. I feel like if you're part-time, like the part-time would be like, now you should go somewhere else and then come back. We'll but try to spend part of our time up in Canada. Maybe it's too hot to leave now. Maybe you got trapped. The wheels on the RV might melt. So I don't know. Sam should beat up. Blink twice if you guys are okay. <laughs> right? I could just shut up for the rest of the show. It would be way better if I do. Yeah. So um, my name is Sam Shapiro. I'm the founder of Grounded. We are an electric camper van company. So we're building modular electric camper vans and basically, yeah, these are fully electric vehicles that, that are drivable. And our first model was called the G1, which we announced a few months ago and shipped to our first customers a a couple months ago. Those were built on the Ford e-transit platform. And we are currently in early production of yet to be announced G2, which will be a much longer range electric camper van with 250 miles of range on a single charge. And uh, we are currently, uh, currently starting to build the first few for our first, first customers. 
Awesome. I can't, I'd love to dive into that with you and explore a little bit about your journey and how you see the industry kind of changing and stuff. But before we talk to our special guests here, regular guests, is there anything that's happening in the RV industry that's super important that's come across your desk in the last month since you opened on the show or Phil since 2022 when you were last on the show that you'd like to share with us? I think it's pretty well known that the industry is the market softened quite a bit since a year ago. The industry's making adjustments, a lot of production adjustments to, to match up with the current retail demand. Dealers have, are well stocked right now. The stocking issues that we were talking about are long gone. And so dealers need to work through that inventory and, and move forward. The RBIA just a few weeks ago put out their shipment forecast for 2024, and we are going to see some slight improvement as we move through the third and fourth quarter of this year and then into next year, production should increase. It's not going to be like it was in 2022. We're coming off record years, but we do see some gradual improvement down the road. What do you think, Phil, is leading? We all know what's leading to the downturn, but what do you think will lead to the upturn next year? Or what do they think? I think a lot of it is just that right now, retail will outpace wholesale probably by about 30 to 50,000 units in North America between U.S. and Canada. That's the prediction because there was a lot of ordering going on in 2020. A lot of that stuff came in later than the dealers anticipated. And now they've got it. We're going to get, we've got months and months of inventory backed up on, on dealers' lots. So we got to work through that. There is some uncertainty about the economy still, sure. especially here in the U.S. with higher interest rates. That is impacting the market, certainly. And But there are some bright spots on the horizon. The recession that was predicted is really not materialized yet anyway. The job numbers are very good. Gas prices are stable. This upcoming 4th of July weekend is going to be the biggest travel weekend ever, according to AAA, people are getting out there. I'm also hearing traffic to some of the major websites, the consumer websites like RV Trader and even dealer websites are reporting a lot of good interest. People just aren't better on, 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 on the purchase. Things, once I think they'll settle down and I know we're, you're seeing the same things in Canada, Eleanor. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, I can echo what you say. Sales are soft. We, the thing is, a lot of dealers are comparing sales for over 2022 and, and 2021, which were just crazy. So we're looking back and saying, okay, let's compare to 2019, which is a little bit more realistic. And at that, we're down about 18% from 2019, but definitely off, but not as, as bad as if you just look at the year prior. Our dealers are saying they're getting lots of traffic to the websites for being Canada, which is our marketing branch, has had some incredible hits and some really good stats. We know the interest is there. Dealers seem to be very busy on the service side. They're, we're always needing more service technicians in the industry, but that's, so we see people are interested in using their units. Our campground operators are telling us that they have really strong bookings. So I think it's just people are potentially delaying their purchase this year because of uncertainty, higher interest rates, and maybe just delaying that till next year. So let me ask you this, Sam, and I didn't mean to give you a hardball at the first time here. I was going to let you, I'm going to let you introduce your company, but just as we're talking about this, you coming into, and how long have you been in the industry? When did you release the G1? A couple of months ago. Okay. So coming into the industry, how does what Eleanor and Phil are talking about impact you or does it, or is it different because you're developing a new product that isn't traditional at many dealers? Yeah, I think that as an early stage startup doing something that's innovative and different than what's out there, that we're reasonably well insulated as a company, to be honest with you. Obviously, like the economy and the interest rates definitely do have an impact when we're talking to our customers about financing options and things like that. Obviously, it's not completely insulated, but but it's not as though it's not as though we're doing high volume right now because we're early yeah. stage. We just started. And so we're pretty focused on finding the early adopters who are really enthusiastic about going electric. And, and so, yeah, we're pretty focused on those people. There are a lot of them there. And yeah, that, that's kind of my answer there. So how did, tell us the origin story, right? How did you decide to one, get into the industry, but to get into the industry in a new innovative way? 
For sure. Yeah. So growing up, I definitely enjoyed outdoor stuff, but like my family was never an RV family. We never, I had never really stepped foot in an RV actually throughout childhood and growing up. And then I lived in New York. So I was a city person after college and I lived in Manhattan for five years and definitely would try to take outdoor trips when I could. But uh, again, like nothing like owning an RV or anything like that. And then COVID happened and I went back to Atlanta where I'm from and did a COVID bubble with my family and my partner's family. And after a few months of not really doing very much through spring of 2020, I ended up buying a used cargo van, Chevy Express 2500 cargo van and upfitting it into kind of an RV, like a DIY build. And that was my first time really doing anything like that. And then my, my partner and I traveled around the country in that van for months and we worked remotely full-time jobs and we would work from campgrounds. We'd work from Cracker Barrel parking lots. We'd work from really like wherever we could. And we went really all around the country and saw a lot of national parks. And it was just a completely different way of living, honestly, and totally changed our perspective on life and on what's possible in terms of lifestyle and things like that. And never really felt as connected with nature until then. And it's not like I necessarily wanted to be full-time 365 days a year, like living from a van all of a sudden, but definitely opened my eyes to other ways of living, other ways of working. And so that's what sparked my interest in camper vans and RVs. And then just to add the electric side came in because there was all these problems that were driven by the fact that this thing was gas powered. So like it broke down at one point, had mechanical issues. You're constantly doing maintenance. You're paying a fortune in gas when you're doing that much traveling. In terms of the inside experience of the vehicle, sometimes you just have to turn it on and run the engine to charge the house battery, which is loud and you get air pollution and noise pollution and and stuff like that. So I think this is actually a really interesting topic and thank you for sharing. We're going to get back to grounded, I promise. But I'm very curious here, Eleanor and Phil, and we've talked about how COVID many times has changed this industry, right? Mostly, I think, from a perspective of new people were exposed to the RV camping industry, as we just talked about with Sam, who either bought RVs or experienced it for the first time, found that they liked it, things like that, right? Which is great for the industry. But have we ever really talked about the new entrepreneurial blood that has come into the industry as a result of this? Like, Sam, would we have had a as much innovation in new things like electric vans and stuff without COVID, do you think? Would have, I'm sure it would have come eventually, but. A lot of it is driven by the chassis that are available, right? And the Ford Transit is a, an exciting development. And the chassis makers have said they're going in this direction. And it doesn't matter what you and I or what everybody else thinks about it. They are going to go that way. So RV makers are going to have to adapt. And certainly Thor Industries, a couple of years ago, with their their Airstream vehicle, the E-Stream, Winnebago has taken a leadership role. They've had an electric motorhome with a very limited range in a prototype state for a while. And they're working like everybody is to increase that range because that is the big issue. Yeah. There's range anxiety when you're out on the road. And then, okay, the other thing that we're working on, and I know Eleanor's working on this in Canada as well, is we've got to have a, a real strong charging station in rural areas. We've got to have places for people not only to charge their electric motorhomes of the future, 90% of the business is tow vehicles. So those Ford Lightnings and Rivian pickups are going to need to have charging. That's a huge public policy issue that that RVDA, RVIA is working on through our Outdoor Recreation Roundtable. And I sat in some meetings in Canada with Shane and Eleanor, and I understand you guys are in the same boat. Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of land, a lot of places for people to go RVing that are remote, but that don't have the electric infrastructure in in the rural areas. So I think think the industry was moving that way to begin with. That Winnebago prototype was it was 2019 that they brought it out early 2019. So before the pandemic, but yeah, more concerned on the tow side almost, because when you look at the industry, motorized is a smaller segment, but look at all the tow vehicles that have the trucks, but also all of the components that are starting to work on batteries inside the unit themselves. Like where are people going to be able to charge 
to be able to utilize their units effectively. Sam, do you want to talk a little bit about battery anxiety and G1 to G2, if you can share anything about G2? Yeah, we're not, we're not publicly sharing who the chassis partner is yet. That's okay. Just the battery. Like you mentioned that it was going to be a longer battery. That's why I was. Yeah, no, for sure. First of all, yeah, you guys are exactly right. Like obviously the range is the single biggest concern, most important thing when it comes to building electric RVs. But I think, I think like very long-term, I'm just like with every other aspect of electrification of vehicles, every other vertical. I'm very optimistic about the development of the technology and the battery density and the charging infrastructure and all those sorts of things. Our next energy with their 700 mile range on a Tesla Model S with their battery, they're starting to deploy pilots with OEMs and things like that. So I think like the future is very bright in general for all this stuff. I think the IRA is already starting to have an extremely meaningful impact on charging infrastructure investments all over the country, including in rural areas. So. Like it's all happening. The momentum's there. The IRA is going to have an enormous impact. It's obviously the biggest, biggest climate related sort of infrastructure bill ever in history. So it's all happening. It's just, it is just a matter of time, I think. And that's why there will be this phase of early adopters. And I think like even now today, I would make the case that there's there's a, there is a strong case for having an electric RV today, which is that when you, when you go to an existing charging station, a lot of people, a big complaint with EVs charging is the amount of time that it takes compared to refilling a tank of gas. Gas takes five minutes, charging up a EV can take, depending on how much, 30 minutes to an hour at a reasonably fast destination charger. If it's a, if it's a passenger car, then you could sit in your car, you could walk around, but. If you have a camper van, you can go in the back, you could take a shower, you can cook a meal, you can take a nap, you can lay in bed and watch TV. In a lot of ways, like the charging use case actually becomes a lot stronger with an electric camper van than, than like a passenger EV is one thing. Another thing is that campgrounds today already have electrical infrastructure, Mo most do for RV hookups. And obviously just like with homes in America, if everybody all of a sudden was like plugging in level two chargers into campgrounds, like that would cause a problem, no doubt with the existing infrastructure, but a level one charger that's doing 15 amps at 110 volts, like that's the same as that's like the lowest, slowest charging rate that you can do. And I think that wouldn't really necessarily cause a problem and it would charge your electric camper van very slowly. But the good thing is your parts there for one or two or three or more days. Anyway, I think that it's not like you're completely unable to have any sort of reasonable experience today with going electric. Now on the towing side, that, that is like a whole different, interesting thing, right? Because when you tow anything with any vehicle, whether it's ice or EV, you cut your range in half, like period. And so yep. that's less of a problem with the, when you're towing with a gas powered vehicle, because you cut your range in half, but again, it's like very easy to just refill your tank of gas. Uh, it's obviously a bigger problem. And so that's why we're seeing companies like Lightship and Pebble that was just announced that are also approaching electrification of the RV industry, like grounded, but they're approaching it from a different angle where they're like specifically tackling the towing, being more aerodynamic problem, maybe like the e-stream, including a powertrain in the towed vehicle to help support the the carrying the, the tow vehicle. So I think there's like a lot of interesting solutions here and there's a lot of companies and agencies tackling these problems from different angles and overall like very bullish on long-term how this plays out. I have a question for you. So if it wasn't for COVID and trying to get out of the house, do you think you would have gone down this road? No. And I feel a bit almost guilty saying it because obviously COVID was this horrible thing and lots of people died and got sick. And so, and, and obviously I have friends that were friends and family that were very negatively impacted by COVID and, and I'm lucky in the sense that for me personally, I had this sort of positive thing come out of it where it forced me to leave New York city and end up doing these things. So I think, yeah, I think life just has a weird way of doing things sometimes. And, and yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that this, any of this would have happened for me personally, if it weren't for COVID happening. And you always have to find the positive. 
during the most negative things. So I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't feel guilty. I think that's a great story and kind of goes into what we were talking about and innovation and how COVID played a part in it. What is your background? Just curious. Yeah, so I was actually working in advertising technology, doing software and product and wearing some different hats in New York. And then I, funny enough, went to SpaceX to write embedded software for Starlink satellites and Wi-Fi routers sometime right after that camper van experience. Actually, it is also related to this whole thread because what really initially led me to go work for SpaceX and Starlink was I was building that camper van and then getting internet was like the next big challenge because we were working full time from the van and we had this janky little like cellular antenna that was trying to like pull a bunch of cellular data from the big networks and stuff. But every day I was on Reddit, checking the Starlink subreddit, seeing like when I might be able to get a Starlink. And that sort of like eventually led me to just go work for the Working for the company was like the fastest path to getting a piece of hardware. So <laughs> not a bad strategy. All right. I want to get to Jason and Allison. And thank you guys for being patient. I want to tell their story before I do, because I'm going to forget, I have to thank our sponsor for this episode, Access Parks. We're going to play a brief video from them and then we'll be right back. We're going to talk to Jason and Allison. Want to increase your revenues by up to 20%? Guests stay an average of two days longer when they stay connected. We are the only provider to guarantee the 25 megabits per second speeds that your guests demand at no upfront costs. And you'll be up and running in just six to eight weeks. With our fiber optic network serving 30 million annual visitors, you'll experience zero risk to deliver guaranteed speeds to your guests, even during peak hours. It's Wi-Fi that just works. Guaranteed broadband is here. Really thankful for Access Parks for being a sponsor of this show. If you guys own a campground RV park, as I know many of you do, watch the show. If you're looking for better internet service, then definitely reach out to them and see if they might be able to help you. So Jason and Allison, part-time RVers, sorry for messing that up in the beginning. I did have notes here that said you were part-time, but apparently I struggle to read, specifically on Wednesday. I appreciate you guys being here anyway, but tell us, uh, tell us the story of Jason and Allison. How did you guys get started in the industry? So we moved to Texas about 20 years ago. And we he used to live in California, did lots of tent camping out there. And when we came to Texas, camping weather is pretty short. You have some nice outdoor weather in the spring and the fall, but then you're fighting thunderstorms. So we knew that to camp year-round, we had to have a controlled environment. So after, when our kids were three and six, we decided to take the plunge and how old are your kids now? Uh, 13 and 11. You don't want to tell us? That's fine. I wouldn't want to tell roll, roll reversal right there. Usually, right. I was just trying to, it was a backdoor way of figuring out how long you've been RVing is what really, yeah. I was just saying. <laughs> yeah. So how, so what have you, so after 10 years, right? After over 10 years, what have you found? What have you adapted? What have you changed? What have you loved and hated? So we've really, we've started to move as we've created more content, we've started to really move into astrophotography which you can see some of that on our pages. But the thing that we really, that inspires us, I would say is dark sky camping. And there's been a big rise in astro tourism. And that's one of the main reasons why we camp 70 to 90 days out of the year. There's just finding in a campground that is dark and has proper dark lighting is just, is just awesome. We just love finding it. No, I will share that. So I, I'm, I don't really go, I don't, I'm not rich enough to own an RV yet, but I did go to Jasper National Park, which many people I think here on the call have been to, I think two years ago. And it was a dark sky certified downtown area. They'd just gotten it, I think a couple of years ago. And so we went to an observatory near a hotel and they were telling us all about that. And just, you're right. Like it was unfortunately a little bit of a cloudy night. But you could still clearly tell the difference between having the light pollution and not having the light pollution, the ability to see that stuff. Is this primarily, is this why you both share this interest or? Evolved from there. Jason is into videography and I like photography and we're just hikers in general. So we like going out away from people into nature 
And once we started camping in these darker areas, just our passion for the night sky, the same balm from there. And luckily in Texas, not too far away, we live in the South Fort Worth area. Just a couple hours west, we can get out of the city lights and get under some pretty good skies. So go ahead, please, Jason. You look like you want to say something. Yeah. I feel like a lot of campgrounds could actually start selling that as a point to just install darker, just proper lighting. And you could really, you can modernize a modern campground. You can modernize your... Thanks for the shout out. I appreciate that. No problem. No problem. <laughs> you can actually modernize your campground for not too much. For It's a, it's an easy return on investment. Like it's a nice... Like, what Can I ask, what makes a good campground for stargazing? First of all, you need to be in a darker sky location and you can find any light pollution map online and see where you would want to be. And then from there, you want to be somewhere where the campground minimizes the nightlights. And that's where like astro enthusiasts, they go there and they target those areas. And I think, um, especially now with the phones that are capable of astrophotography, there's just been this huge interest. We've gotten a lot of messages from people who've never even seen the Milky Way and who just are asking us, where can I go? How can I do this? And I, we do see the interest growing. Even my own students, I'm a school teacher of over 20 years. My own students, okay. I would say just about every one of them has, they haven't seen the Milky Way, which is just mind boggling. Some of you guys might live a little bit closer to darker skies. Yeah, but it is interesting. Like you bring up a really good point, right? There's until I went to Jasper and I'll admit this, like I, I had an appreciation for the night sky, but for sure it grew when I learned about it and actually could see it better. And so it is interesting that some of our kids and even me when I was in school, right? And I'm super old, but weren't really exposed to that. At least I don't remember being in. I'm sure there are schools who are. Yeah, about, I think the stat is like 80% of Americans can see the Milky Way from where they live. And light pollution is a doubling or it's ever 10, 10%, 10% every. 10%, yeah. Every year it increases by 10%, which is a staggering number. Soon you probably it, won't see all of the stars. For, Musk is going to solve that for everybody. We're going to go here. <laughs> it's hard to fight for a problem that a lot of people just don't experience in their yeah. everyday life. People are worried about things that are important to them, that paying their bills yep. and everything like that. And so it's. But it does save a lot of money for campgrounds when you do install lower light, lower luminance lighting, your LEDs that are orange and warmer and, you know, it. So I'm curious about something here. We continue to talk about campgrounds and you're not wrong. I think that's a good point. But from the RV industry perspective, mm -hmm. is this something that any manufacturers or is that a thing? Light pollution from the outside lights of an RV? Possibly in the future. I guess I'm really talking to like the dealers here, right? Are there, is there an issue or not an issue, but is there any thought being put into this by any manufacturers about light pollution or making a, cause there's a marketing side from the dealer standpoint or a manufacturer side standpoint too, I think perhaps. Well, you can just turn off the light. Hey, right. <laughs> Be kind to your neighbor, turn off your blood light. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's really hasn't been much discussion on this matter that, that I'm aware of, but. And maybe there doesn't need to be. I, again, I'm from the campground RV park side. Primarily, I'm asking from a place of ignorance. So tell me if I'm right. But on the campground side, I mean, I really like it in terms of, like you said, Brian, marketing. I think so back in, so I'm in Vancouver and go Vancouver Island and the west coast of the island, Tofino is a great little community. And they used to have this lull season in November because it was storming and nobody ever went and. Now we went because it was cheaper, but now people go because they're storm chasing and storm watching and it's become just a yeah, huge tourism. So in my way. Right. And so in May too. Yeah. So then I'm thinking for the campgrounds that are more remote that have potential less of an opportunity to draw people. They're a little bit further away. I think this would be, I would definitely go somewhere a little bit further if I had an opportunity to see something. That, that, that goes to the experience, right? We've seen that. I think it was a year, maybe two years ago in Camp Spots Awards that they gave out, there was a dark sky campground in Nevada 
and I think won one of the top spots in their awards. And so for sure, there's your proof right there that if you, if done right, just like anything, but this is a niche, right? Depending on your location, then you certainly can take advantage of it. So tell us, Jason and Allison, how do you, so switching away from dark sky for a second, how do you go from California to part-time RVing to Texas to becoming ambassadors? Because lots of people RV and don't become ambassadors. When we moved from California, the reason was my family was here in Texas. And so I dragged Jason kicking and screaming from the mountains of California. Did you really kick and scream, Jason? Or is you... <laughs> I tried. But once we had kids, we did take a break from camping. Just we, we had the little kids and we're just trying to survive. And then once... Those daycare bills stuck. We bought our first RV and just started photographing our journey. And the camper happened to be in a lot of our shots just because that's where we were at night. And we just slowly built a relationship with some of the brands and it just blossomed from there. So can you tell us what you currently do as ambassadors or? So. What the, what Jayco is looking for with their Ascend community is they want real people enjoying their product in a genuine and sincere way. And so they have people from all walks of life, different reasons for RVing. Some people use it to go to events and some people use it full time. And so the members of the Ascend community just show their experience with the product instead of it being models posed in front of a camper it's real life okay that makes sense to me i'd certainly prefer to see an authentic experience i'm a marketing guy but and it's easy to do when you really love the product too <laughs> so it sells itself that's fair all right are there any i was just gonna be mean and ask you if there's any products you didn't like but i'm not really gonna ask you that question just uh, so all right so what else is on our desk we've talked to jason and allison really great origin story and how they got involved in this industry and the dark sky thing was awesome talk to sam shane what's going on in your world you seem really quiet today you ask one question but right no it's a good conversation i just letting it flow i a couple comments i i've never thought of an amenity or a service being stargazing i don't know if any campground in Canada that uh, lists the night sky watching as one of their, I don't know of any either, but there has to be. I think there should be. And I think it's something that, that we should look about adding because I, I love stargazing. I love going up to Muskoka and trying to find the big dipper or the little dipper or whatever. I still can't really find them, but I still like to try, but it's a neat amenity. And I think campgrounds need to promote that. In the last month, Eleanor and I visited with our RV counterparts in the U.S. in Washington, D.C. We had some good meetings, found out that Canada and the U.S. are going through similar challenges right now. And it's always good to share information. We do this every year at the beginning of June during their committee week. And it's it was a real benefit for me and I'm sure Eleanor too. I want to ask Sam something if I could. And it, to, I guess, remark on your what you said before, Brian, about entrepreneurs coming out of COVID or during COVID and think of this, I can't think of very many because it was such a challenging time where existing guys who have been around 30, 40, 50 years couldn't find parts. And I, I couldn't imagine a startup trying to do it, but Sam, where, where in your product is different? It's unique. You're unique in that you, you had no camping experience at all. And yet you've probably got all these ideas from traveling around and seeing other stuff out there. I'm curious where you see your stuff being different than what's out there. Yeah, for sure. Obviously electric is this first and foremost, the big thing. But I think that again, you could draw the analogies with passenger cars, like electric can't be the long-term differentiator. We're seeing that now with all of the, all of the competition really stepping up against Tesla finally with EV passenger cars. So one of the things that, that we've put a stake in the ground as differentiators of the core product are two things, two areas. One is modularity. So we've designed this modular system for the interior of the vehicle where we allow customers to have a level of customization that is far beyond what you would have when you're just selecting from 
one or two preset floor plans from a big manufacturer. And so it's somewhere in between that versus at the other end of the spectrum, the other existing option is you can go to a very custom one-off shop and ask them to build you something totally custom, but that you're going to pay kind of a fortune for, and there's going to be a very long lead time. And those shops are doing a very small handful per year. And so we're trying to position ourselves in the middle where you can, we have a component library of here are the different furniture pieces, here are the different battery sizes, that sort of thing. And you can choose which layout you want. You can, you could drag and drop. I want the kitchen piece in this corner, or I want it over here instead, or I want the half size kitchen piece or the full size kitchen piece, that sort of thing. So modularity is number one. And then the second thing is on the digital experience, which I hate that phrase, but we're innovating on the app and the digital experience. And this app, this grounded RV app lets you control everything, monitor everything, do it remotely. And so we're trying to make that part of the experience more sophisticated than what you might find in some of these other RVs today. Can you use the app to turn off your lights if Jason and Allison are camping next to you? You can. You can. No. Yeah. Well, we need to add a, a no, no pollution button and then it just shuts everything off. Perfect. All right. What else is happening? Let's, I think we should talk about for a second. I think we should, because we haven't done the show before, the legislation. Like Phil, you were there in DC, right? Phil, Eleanor, Shane, Susan, were you there? Didn't make it this year. Susan. I know. We're going to find something to talk to you about in a second, Susan. Phil, Shane, Eleanor, tell us, because I think this is important, right? What were the priorities of RVIA, RVDA, when you guys, CRVA, when you went there? And what did you accomplish and how do you think it went? The priorities that we talked about in D.C. earlier this month were America's Outdoor Recreation Act, which would not so much spend money, but loosen policies to allow more public-private partnerships to develop campgrounds, marinas, rural economic development initiatives to increase and improve the number of campgrounds on public lands. And I know some of the campground groups don't like to hear about that, but the fact of the matter is the federal government is not put the investment in to either maintain or modernize the campgrounds on public lands. And we've got all these new RVers that want to experience both public camping and the private side. So that that's a big priority. We've also got a tax issue, which is inside baseball, but the, the interest on floor plan loans for RV dealers is treated differently under motorized and travel trailers right now for certain dealers. So we're trying to get that fixed. And then the manufacturers are having an issue with a component called Luon that goes into a lot of RVs, the lightweight, the lightweight product that is only made in Indonesia. And there's some tariff issues on that. I don't know if you have those same issues in Canada, but it's a, it's costing the manufacturers more money, which in turn costs everybody down the whole supply chain more money. So they're trying to fix that, but some good, some good discussions. And we had great participation from a lot of the senators and U.S. representatives. And there were also some meetings with the administration. And I know Shane and Eleanor did the same thing in April. Yeah. Yeah. We had like, our- I was a softball to talk about it. I'm there. Go ahead. There she goes. All right. Sorry. Muted. Yeah, we did the same thing. It's very similar. We bring people from across the industry in Canada, from the campground sector, from the manufacturers and the dealers as well. And we host members of parliament. We actually had some RVs on on Spark Street, which is a pedestrian street about a block away from the parliament buildings and had a small campfire there with giant marshmallows, brought people in, but really to create awareness, A, about the industry, about the economic impact that our industry does have, and then to talk about our issues and there, there's similar access and investment in infrastructure in parks, Parks Canada and their campgrounds, not just the campsites themselves, but just all of their amenities. That's a huge one for us. Our government does give funding to Parks Canada, but it always seems to go more to roadways, bridges, and we do need to have people to be able to access campgrounds. And then I know Shane, they have still some taxation issues on the campground side. Yeah, you have to applaud what the U.S. does with their Outdoor Act and all the advocacy work that that your round table does. It's, we're very envious up here. We'd love to have something like that uh, up here, but we can't convince the government to expand their thinking. And they only 
really yes. just do some yeah. Ars Canada stuff. Yeah, you'll get there, right? Yeah, let's uh, be optimistic, Shane. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I, yeah. I'll be on the other side. <laughs> I'm doubtful. <clears throat> All right, I'll be positive for you, Shane. But talk to us. So talk to us about this, right? So the three of you who went to DC, for those of us who, for non-RV and camping-related reasons, try to keep politics at a distance sometimes, right? There's a perception that nothing ever gets done in DC or Ottawa, right? What does this actually look like from your standpoint when you're going to DC? Because we know it's very important. We know a lot of things get done, right? But from the outside looking in, we see we don't understand a lot of it. So what does the day look like? What are you like, how do you convince these senators and the administration and MPs to pay attention to the industry's needs? How do you get them to move? I, if you look at the outdoor recreation industry as a whole, it is somewhat of a white hat issue. It's hard to be against going outside. It's hard to be against cleaner waters. It's hard to be against improving camping. It's not a highly partisan issue now that some of the some of the details can get partisan, right? but by and large, we've been able to put together bipartisan bills. In fact, uh, one of the big bills that passed that President Trump signed was the Great American Outdoors Act. That was one of the major pieces of legislation of that year because it's the only thing Republicans and Democrats could actually agree on. And then the other thing is you're trying to take some common sense issues to them and say, look, Outdoor recreation does what? It helps people's overall, their mindset, right? Like we saw in COVID, outdoor recreation participation spike. It creates jobs and it creates jobs in areas that in some cases are economically depressed and why we have rural development initiatives. You're coming with them with common sense solutions to problems instead of asking for a handout or some partisan issue that you only, only one side or the other is going to agree with you on. So it's a very big 10 approach that we're taking to try to increase jobs and increase the quality of life for Americans. And we do get a good reception of capital. So what you're yeah. saying is this bill, I had a really super high opinion of how hard it was. And you're just saying it doesn't take as much effort as we thought it did. It, it's hard because I'm just giving you hard time. Moving <laughs> we know it's hard. Yeah. Well, and, 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 there's so much and, gridlock. Yeah, I think RVDA, RVDA of Canada, and RVIA all year long does a great job of lobbying for the industries. And so they're always in front of them trying to raw for us. But to your point of Washington, D.C., because I've done it for many years, not with just only the RV industry, but the automotive industry is... It somewhat humanizes it, right? So RVIA and RVDA can, can go in front of them all the time. But then we have the opportunity to sit in front of our legislation and say, this is what it's affecting, right? We have our own opinion. They get to see the human side of it and the businesses and the companies that are working towards it. And it affects, we get to see our congressmen and senators and all that stuff to have that opportunity to talk to them as well. And to see how it all works, it's a really, if any, nobody's done it before, it's really a fascinating thing to do to go to Capitol Hill and, and sit and talk to these people about your companies, your industry as a whole, and put some company names and faces in front of it. Well, and I think that's why I wanted to bring it up. And I know I just giving you a hard time, Phil, but the, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of effort and coordination and planning. And yes, we are blessed to have outdoor recreation to who's going to possibly say they hate looking at stars at night, right? Or all those kinds of things that you mentioned, but it still requires an immense amount of coordination, effort, funding, travel, talking and talking to get the attention that you think would come way easier, but is necessary. And so I just don't want, I want to make sure we're not minimalizing that because it feels like sometimes like me, right? It's very easy to mistake. That, oh, they just fly to D.C. and walk in somebody's office and sit down and talk to them for five minutes and get what they want. But that's very clearly not the way it works. <laughs> no. And I can say if you don't do it, you have zero chance of getting it. Yeah. And El Eleanor's group, they always were fortunate to, to join RBDA of Canada all the time in Ottawa. And they do a great job. And it, you may not get things done, but they, you have zero chance if you're not there in the first place. Yeah. And some, sometimes they surprise us. 
Yeah. I mean, there was, we've been doing it for over 20 years and there was, uh, there was that new luxury tax that was put on, on high end or higher end automobiles and boats and small aircraft. And fortunately the RV industry was not included in that. And I think that really came down to the fact that we've been there. We knew some of the policymakers, we knew the members of parliament, and they really understood that RVing is for affordable family vacations. And that's a win. That wasn't something we were specifically going after as a result of everything that we've been doing in those continued relationships. We were able to be successful for the industry. We just need to get everybody who's a politician to be an RVer, and then they would all understand the industry and we would have to explain it less. Like we should recruit somebody like Sam, and I'm not saying this publicly because I don't want to say it in front of everybody, right? We should recruit somebody like Sam to just give them all RVs <laughs> and they'd love the lifestyle. I would never say that obviously publicly. It might constitute tribe or something, but. Are you paying, Brian? Are you paying? Which is what? Am I paying for it? Are you paying? No, I can't even afford one for myself. <laughs> It is true. Like you say, some of them don't know much about, much about RVing and we're actually doing this summer outreach campaign. We're trying to get at least 12 to 15 members of parliament in RVs this summer. So they get to experience the lifestyle and go on a trip themselves. Because they're Sam before COVID. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Most people who make them and build products for them have never RVed before. Brian, I think I can get you into an RV for 200 bucks a month. I don't even know if I have that. I have to travel to Calgary to go to an RVDA meeting and that's 14 minutes away. I don't know. I got to spend gas to get there. It's expensive. Well, going to Sam's. That's true. Sam, yeah. can I have an RV to travel 15 minutes to downtown Calgary? Okay. Put some solar panels in your house. Yeah. Where can I get an RV for $200 a month? Is that really a thing? Yeah. We can talk out here. Yeah. All right. Bit long yeah. financing. We'll talk after yeah. we'll talk off. It's I gotta give you that to a guy in an alley somewhere. He's gonna take care of you though. You just tell him that Jason sent you. All right. What else is going on? We got five minutes left. Six minutes in the show. What else do we need to talk about? Anybody have big any- holidays coming up? Wanna wish yeah, you all of our US yeah. US counterparts and our Canadian counterpart at Canada Day, Canada July Day and July. Do you want it? We didn't talk about that on the show. We were talking about it beforehand. Do we want to talk about RV travel and the great outlook that we think is coming here for this weekend? Yeah, it's a busy week, busy time. Fun time is when born and raised around Buffalo, New York and Niagara Falls, because we're right there. We celebrate, they celebrate it together, 4th of yeah. July and Canada Day. It's one big wow. celebration. It's a lot of fun. If there's any testament about RV travel versus air travel, look at all the planes that were canceled over the last two days. Yep. Um, and they say it's going to be worse. Get an RV. You're talking about because of the smoke in the last two days? But yeah. Yeah. Being canceled. Yeah, that and there's a software upgrade that they're all required to have by, I think, was it August 1st or something like that? And they said there's going to be a lot of delays because of that because they're struggling to get that implemented. I think I read the Calgary airport lost power yesterday too. Something. Oh, great. That's fine. Thanks, Brian. Needs power, right? Hopefully fixed by next week, right? All in yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you can drive an RV through smoke if you can't take off from it. You could. Probably not the best idea in the world, but all right. I said fire. Right. I just said smoke. Does anybody have plans for July 4th or Canada Day? Probably are we, camping camping the are we going somewhere fun? Probably camping at a vineyard. Oh, nice. nice. Starts a dark vineyard. A dark. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> sure. That's what red wine is for, Shane. <laughs> yes. Stars look better after a couple bottles. That's for sure. I don't think anybody would argue that. <laughs> maybe, maybe a couple bottles. One bottle probably looks better. And then more stars, probably the more bottles you drink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just double. They just they keep double and triple. And yeah. <laughs> How is that Texas wine, by the way? <laughs> I have a question for Jason and Allison. Where are you going to go see the eclipse at? We will be in which eclipse are you talking about? There's two of them. Okay. So, Sorry. <laughs> Both eclipses. There I didn't know. Sorry for nerding out on you. There's an annular eclipse that is on October 14th. What's it called? An annular eclipse. So it's when you don't have full blockage, you get that ring of fire. 
Ooh. So we'll be I guess in- that more than I would the regular eclipse. Yeah. And then there's the total solar eclipse next year. Everybody talks about that's what yeah, I meant. That is actually we're in prime location for that. But yeah, we'll be staying on someone's property for that. Very cool. All right. Sam, wrap up the show here from your perspective, from Grana's perspective. Thank you for being on. But tell us where we can learn more about your electric camper vans and follow your progress. Yeah, we can learn more on our website, groundedrvs.com, and sign up for our newsletter. We'll be making a more official announcement about the G2 pretty soon. So look out for that. And yeah, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Great to meet all of y'all. You too, sir. Thank you for your time. Jason and Allison, where can they follow the Tacus? We have a website, rwtadventures.com, which is road tripping with Tacus. And you can see. We have a good light pollution map on there for you. But when you get in your RV and go find the dark sky. That'll lead you to our Instagram and yeah. YouTube and everything else. All the other social media content. The dark sky map will or your website will? The website will. Mm. All right. What else do we have? Any, anybody else want to say some final thoughts? We have a minute and a half left. Bill, Eleanor, Susan, yes. Shane? Nope. Just happy 4th of July, everybody. Happy Canada Day. Canada Day. Canada Day. Yeah. Done that you keep forgetting this, Shane. You're here. Like, okay. even though Canada Day was a thing until I came up here. Like, I did. But it's a huge thing. I know, but like in America, we're not like regularly taught about Canada Day. So there's a video we should play that one time about, I think it's Thanksgiving, isn't it, Eleanor? About the two neighbors that come out of their house, one's American, one's Canadian, and they're talking about the Thanksgiving. Let's play it one time. It's pretty funny. They might block us oh. for copyright, but oh, we can do that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> We can just, you can make, Shane, you can make up the dialogue. You and Eleanor can play the neighbors. Brittle Star. I think Brittle Star is the comedian. All right, guys. Thank you. I really appreciate you being on another episode of MC Fireside Chats with us. I want to thank our sponsor again, Access Parks. Really appreciate them being a supporter of our show. And we will see you guys next week again for another episode. So have a happy 4th of July. Have a happy Canada Day. And enjoy a summer full of RVing. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.